Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie. And we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hey, it's an artist podcast number 848. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace for a blog or maybe some type of online commerce where you want to have a thing that's connected to your blog uh, and you want to sell it for money because you hate your job and you're like, damn it, I'm going to make my own thing. I don't need to take orders from anyone anymore. I'm going to build my thing. Build it with Squarespace. They allow you to create a, a custom platform uh, where you can make your, your any goal that you have into a reality. They have fantastic customer service. So start your free trial today. Squarespace.com. Enter the offer code NERDIST to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, make your next move. Uh, now it's time to go to the Nerdist Community Corkboard. First, uh, I want to lead off with the Nerdist Podcast, which will be uh, live at SF Sketchfest with myself, Matt Myra, Jonah Ray, uh, Katie Levine up on the ones and zeros, who is recording uh, all the info, and our special guest, Nathan Fillion. The captain himself, Nathan Fillion, will be there. Uh, that will be Saturday, January 21st at the Curran Theater in San Francisco, uh, 10 p.m. It's a massive venue, uh, there's, but there's still actually uh, just a handful of tickets left. It's getting close to sold out. So if you want it, go to sfsketchfest.com. Join us. Uh, it will be a good time. And you will give good time to hey i just evolved into not um having english as my first language i apologize uh let's go to the corkboard though and let us continue to promote things from you the nerdist community which you can get on the board by emailing events at nerdist.com you can also tweet katie levine at kt underscore money on the twitter and she'll mostly want to talk to you about football. But if you have stuff, uh, and also uh, dogs, football and dogs. But if you have uh, something that you want to add to the corkboard, by all means, let us know. And uh, this is from a guy, she just wrote, this is from a guy that tweeted at us, very specific. Bulldog Unchained podcast is a podcast that talks about everything imaginable. Their description is, if you want a show that's cynical, hilarious, dark, and filled with vulgarities, then this is the show for you. Find them on iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, and more. Uh, this episode is Louis Anderson, whom I've known for about 20 years now and have been a fan of for about 30 years, maybe a little longer. Those are big numbers. But, uh, Louis is such a sweetheart. I adore this man and I'm so glad that he was on the podcast. He is, uh, in the new season of baskets for which he won an Emmy last year. Uh, it's Zach Galifianakis' show, and he's amazing on it. And it's premiering January 19th, coming back, 10 p.m. on FX, uh, which is just a few days from the time this podcast goes up. 
Oh, man. Not only is this guy a comedy legend, but this guy, he's such a joke uh, crafter. Uh, and 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 I adore him, and I'm so glad that he's that he's still doing stand up and still doing stuff and still uh, relevant and wonderful. So I was very happy to have him on uh, this episode. Also brought to you by Casper mattresses because you need to sleep at night. It's very important to sleep. I found this out. I used to think sleep was for the weak. It's not at all. <laughs> <laughs> when you don't sleep, you get crazy and sick. So you need a good mattress. You spend most of your life on your mattress. And and then I'm not even saying like make a big financial investment, all right? These are shockingly fair prices. These are obsessively engineered. And it's because it just cuts out all that mattress store crap. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. So you can try it for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. And if you don't love it, they will pick it up and refund you everything because they understand the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit. Uh, and again, you are not going to spend a lot of money on this mattress. And you're also, if you visit casper.com slash Nerdist and use the offer code Nerdist, you're going to get $50 toward the mattress purchase, making it even less expensive. Damn it. Uh, terms and conditions apply. And uh, we would like to thank Casper for sponsoring this episode of the Nerdist Podcast, which again is number 848 with Mr. Louis Anderson. Katie, roll the thing. Now entering Nerdist.com. I'm I'm so glad to finally have you on this podcast, and I love that you did our at midnight show a little well, while ago. Know, the midnight show, I just was telling Bones. Uh, he goes, "You were." I said, "I love being on the show." He goes, "You were terrific." I go, "I wasn't terrific. I wasn't prepared. I'm. I had to be. I had to. I, I wasn't. I was nervous because there was young people. You were nervous. Were young, I was. Oh little, come on! You were so good to me, and you were so kind. Well, so. I adore you. I yes, but you know, as a performer, I want to be the true funniest one. So. Of course, there's that natural competitive thing that everyone, even though it's not, re- we're not really playing for anything. You're still playing for yourself. In a congratulations, weird, in a weird, you're married it. now. Were you last time too? Already when I, was uh, I got married in August. Oh so, yeah, yeah, so it was true. It was, so I can yeah. say it again though. You're yes. still happy. Yes. Okay. Good. Yeah, it's really, it's really nice. And and uh, it, I was just talking. I was just on the phone with Alex Murray, who said, "Please oh. tell Louis I love him I to love pieces." Alex. But uh, for people who don't know, Alex has been my manager for 13 years. You worked with Alex for a long yes, time. Yes, he was my manager for 13 hours. <laughs> no, he was a manager of mine for a long time. He was Steve Levine's assistant. Yeah. And I always encouraged him. Like, I always encourage everyone. Yeah. That's my gig. I go, you, why don't you go out and do something? Why don't you get out of this and make take a stand? And then he, about two years later, which, you know, it takes a while to get that. Or I don't know how long it was. I, I don't know if I said it exactly like that, but I encourage people. And he did it, and I was really impressed because hardly ever, hardly ever do people do it. <laughs> Am I right? Well, yeah. I mean, because I think a lot of people either go, oh, I can't do that, or they just don't, or they don't for whatever reason, or they get sidetracked. But he was very focused, and when I signed with him, he found me at the improv. He saw me at the improv like right after I quit drinking, which was 2003. And he was like, hey, you're really funny. Do you have a manager? And I did – 
at the time, but they weren't really doing anything. So I just went. You know, he had Gaffigan yeah. then, and Gaffigan yeah. hadn't quite broken yet. Yeah. And he had, you know, Todd Glass, and just oh, he had you yeah. and John Panette. Yeah. And he said all these people that I really liked that I thought were really. He was funny. over in the Valley then, was he? Yeah, he was in. Well, no, he was in Beverly Hills Beverly first. Hills, right, that's right. But he had this really great collection of like of veteran comics that I loved, and then like up and coming guys that I love. Like it was just a nice balance that yeah. he had. Yeah. And he had the um the the car guy, the guy who unfortunately lost his life. That was a part of his company. The great the young actor that smashed up his Porsche and died. Oh, Paul Walker, yes. Paul Walker. That that was um, Nine yeah. Yards. Yes. That was Nine Yards. Yeah, well he was with Nine Yards. He was first. With nine you yards. were after Nine Yards? I was at, at Nine Yards. Oh, you were at Nine yep. Yards. Yep. And um and so, you know, that's kind of a he had kind of a he had that that brood that was waiting to hatch. Yeah, but it, but but you know you're you seem to be one of those guys that whenever your name comes up, oh, I love Louis. Ah, right. oh, Louis's the best. Yeah, oh, hire I love me that then. guy. I always say to people, hire me. <laughs> I mean, I'm really happy for it, but hire me. Could you hire me? Where do you do you live in Vegas? I live in Vegas. Yeah, but I mean, um, you know, I've been here quite a bit because I'm. We just finished. We just wrapped um, baskets season two. Congratulations! So, thanks so Did, much fun. I mean, what an incredible when you. You know, I mean, Zach is. Oh my god! Zach is just such a unique comedy entity that a guy like a guy like Zach, you know, having done big blockbuster movies, could be like, no, I want to do a crazy. You know, he's like, no, yeah. I want to do a an intimate, fun, you know, show that's just such a weird spin of the, how his brain works. And then you get an Emmy. Like, congratulations! Thanks, that was nice. Yeah, that's incredible. You probably I shouldn't have brought it here with me. But... I mean, that's all right. It, listen, I, mean, what, I think it, yeah. it looks good around your neck. Yeah, uh... that's it. You know, I like to, I like to represent. <laughs> it's very hard, and to you know, it has to left. be photographed. Uh, you turn it facing out. left. Yeah, I yeah, guess, yeah. Or you got to turn it. But I don't. You know, the street. I respect the street. <laughs> so whatever the street wants me to. I do. told you the last time you were here you, that. You said one of my favorite things on stage once at the improv, uh, like at the Irvine Improv or something. You go, yeah, I carry a thousand dollars around in my pocket because then if anyone like cuts me off in traffic, I go, ah, I got a thousand bucks in my yeah. pocket. It's such a fucking great, you know. Like I love that thing. I grew up really poor. Thousand bucks is like a million dollars, you know, yeah. when you grow up poor. And I just love the idea of having the cash case. You know, things go wrong. It's just in the pocket. Just in the pocket. And then I love. Because L.A., you know, when I first moved to L.A., somebody would come by the house every day and knock on the door. I go, who is it? A uh, hundred bucks. I go, why? You live in L.A., don't you? That's how I felt. <laughs> I felt like it, no matter how much money I had in L.A., it was gone. Yeah. Because it just costs, it's a, you know, the maid and, and you know, because I wanted to have a maid. And because I'm a terrible, I don't want to clean up anything. <laughs> if, and if you live I would always overpay the maid. You might need parking permits for the neighborhood you live yeah. in. You got to pay for that. There's, <laughs> a, there's always everything. There's the everything. fee for the condo. The, I lived in an apartment. One 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 nine three six Burbank Boulevard. The Carindel Apartments. Oh wow! That's, this woman that ran it was that's deep Burbank. Yes, that woman who ran it would come by. Mike, can you hear this tapping? No, not really. Okay, so, Lewis, Lewis, you put your bathing suit on the railing again. <laughs> Lewis, is that not allowed? No, it's in it, it's in the rules. <laughs> There's no bathing suits on the. Lewis, Lewis, and I'd be eat, sitting in a chair eating something. Never go to the outdoor. <laughs> and then she would say, "I saw you had the bathing suit." 
Did I? Oh. How about that? That's like when Mitzi would tell me I was a sweater comic. Oh, Mitzi Shore. Uh, Mitzi Shore at the comedy store, and she'd go, where's your sweater? <laughs> I go, it's in the car. Do you want me to get it? No, but wear it next time, because you're a sweater comic. What is a sweater comic? I'm a sweater comic. You're from the Midwest. I just want to do pinch your cheeks. So you need Lily. to have a sweater. And she said, you're a sweater, not a jacket. That's hilarious. But I love that about her. Do you her. agree? Do you, are you a sweater? I guess I am. You know, the first show I did was Mike Douglas, and it was... Not Mike Douglas on the air, but the last pilot Mike Douglas did. Okay. And so I was the comic, and I didn't own a jacket. I only had, you know, I didn't have a, a I didn't have a suit jacket. I wasn't, you know, I just, I was a poor kid. I never thought I should get a suit jacket. I just would wear, like, a shirt on stage, or, you know, I was, I'm, I just was, so I, I had a, a gray sweater, and I wore the gray sweater, and a nice shirt. It was very Midwestern. Very going to we're going to the neighbors for dinner, and I did the Mike Douglas show with a sweater. How'd it go? Killed it. And it never <laughs> aired. It never aired. But I will love. I grew up loving Mike Douglas. Mike Douglas, somewhere I saw many of my idols. You know, I remember I, I, Marty I, Allen, who's still alive. We should have him on the podcast. Oh my god! You should have him. He's still as sharp as a tack. He's much funnier than. I'll ever be on this podcast. And <laughs> but he is. He's so he's so funny, Chris, and he's so relevant and he's so real. And um he went through a phase in his, you know, when he left Allen, it was Martin and Al, or it was Marty, Allen, and Rossi. And they, they he sang and then Marty did the jokes. And they were big in Vegas. And everybody, I'm sorry we're losing you in the podcast. But go look them up because you'll see how funny Marty was. So Marty goes through this phase where he's not with Rossi anymore, and he's opening salons in Beverly Hills. Okay. And he's using a blowtorch to cut hair. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, this is the most fantastic fucking thing I ever saw. I'm in Minnesota sitting on my couch going, what? And he's... <laughs> He, he had a comb, and he just he, he had a metal comb, and he just, I should try and get the tape of it. It was so funny. Fucking great. And he's cutting the hair, and it looks pretty good, but he's <laughs> using fire, and he goes, I'm only in a line across the country. I just, I just, uh, I just made a deal with the, you know, the welders union to get some good uh, helmets and torches. But is, uh, that, to me... I don't know if they were doing a joke, but I don't think so. He had a salon in Beverly Hills where he cut the hair. You know, Marty Allen was a jitterbug champion as a kid. And that's how he got into show business. I did not know you that. You have to have Marty. I hope you'll think about it because it's lovely. So well, because there are some. And, and, lovely. And, and, and this sort of applies to Zach, too. But there are some people who they just operate at a different frequency and you can't. I'm always fascinated by because a lot of times you'll watch comics and you'll go, okay, I see the I see how that joke was born. Right. Then there are people like you know Maria Bamford, Zach Galifianakis, where you go, I that's just your brain. I don't know how you got from there to there. I can't find. I don't see the tracks yeah, in the yeah, snow. Yeah. It's a fuck? good. It's a good point. Yeah, it's and a it's good a, point. it sounds like Marty Allen's yeah. kind of the same way. Where it's like, oh, you're just a you're just a beautiful. Like weirdo. Who would think in between two ferns? Yeah. 
Like that takes a certain kind of mind. You'd never be able to pitch that show. No. Be like what? It, what? Yeah. Guy, like I would that? pitch in between the pie and the cake stand. <laughs> you remind me that in the old know, days. And I know I probably bored the shit out of you the first time I met you, which was like '96. I met you at Mo Gaffney's. You were always so place. sweet to me. I loved. I, Mo, well, I adored you because I, you know, being a a rabid comedy kid, you know, watched every comedy thing in the '70s and '80s. That that ninth annual Young Comedian Special, which I've mentioned so many times on this podcast, spun so many people off that one episode. You and Kinnison and Saget and Rita Rudner and and uh, uh, and then uh, it was Yakov. And that was an incredible night. But I'll let you finish your thing. That was it. That was and it. I want to because I want to just come back to that because I want to talk about meeting you and the whole thing too. But that night was a really Rodney called me. I had met Rodney in Minnesota. He and I, I said to all the comics in Minnesota, let's go see Rodney. I heard he likes scotch. You know, I read a little article and he liked good scotch. So I didn't know. I never, my dad was a drunk, so I never really entertained alcohol. You know, so I don't know what a good scotch is. I go in the liquor store. I go, what's a good scotch? He goes, you can't go wrong with Glenn Levitt. <laughs> I go, good. Give me a nice bottle, a nice big bottle of Glenn Levitt. And I said, let's get some balloons. It's, it's silly. That say love, love you, we love you, and all that stuff. And let's go and sit in the front row of the show. Let's do it. And we'll send this back to Rodney. And I go, you know, it's it's my mom speaking. My mom was a gracious, lovely person, but really knew how to worm her way in <laughs> on a deal. Do you yep. know what I mean? Yep. Worm, to get, you know, she wanted, she had a purpose. Yep. She used her niceness. So we bought the thing. I got the scotch. Rodney was overwhelmed by the fact that I knew that he liked scotch. I gave it to him as us. I didn't take, you know what I mean? I wasn't, it wasn't about taking credit, but he knew that I'd got the scotch. And what year is this? 1901, I think. <laughs> 1901. Uh, no, right? let's see. I'm trying to think. 70, has to be 79. So he was, he was playing at a he club. Was at in- the, he was at the uh, Carlton Celebrity Room. Okay. Which was our play without a casino. It was that kind of a. Gotcha. It was that kind of a room. Gotcha. where They had stars in it. Great. And Rodney was there. And it's the first time I ever heard people go absolutely insane when a person was introduced. You know, they just yelled out the whole time. Rodney! You know, and these are Minnesotans. Rodney! Love you, Rodney! Hey, man, how you doing? Anyway, and then he'd open with you. Hey, you work here, you got no act. But anyway, you know, he took it. And then there's a place in Minnesota called Coon Rapids. Okay. And he go, Coon Rapids, huh? <laughs> you know, and he was trying to, but, you know, Minnesotans were all like, what's wrong? What does that mean? You know, because we're all so literal about <laughs> right, everything. Right, But I just remember that. And then he had us back and he was very moved by it. I'm I'm long-winded and I should No, be. please. No, this is what you're supposed to do on a podcast. So he had us back, and it was fabulous. We we just love him. You know, we just loved him. He was there a couple of nights. I go, Rodney, uh, are you you know, do you want to come over to our club? We got a little club. Hey, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. You know, because he loved comics. People don't realize how much Rodney absolutely loved and wanted to be adored by his peers. Mm-hmm. So big limo. I, I call all the press. I go, let's get all the press down here. Rodney's coming. Let's put our ma- club on the map. So whether he shows up or not, we are going to say he's coming. He comes. A big limo pulls up. And all these people go out. Then a little, um, what was the car that used to explode if you hit it in the back? 
<laughs> was it a gremlin or like? No, a... it was. Uh, was it a little? It wasn't a gremlin. It was. Uh, it was a little. Was it a Ford? You remember it? Pinto. So it was a Pinto. A little yellow Ford Pinto pulls up behind the limo, and Rodney gets out. <laughs> <laughs> so he 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 had a sense of every bit of who he was. Sure, you know. He comes in, we're just like in awe. You know, we're just like in awe of him. We're just, we're, I mean, you know, this is icon, you know, last the last great character comic to live, in my opinion. Anyway, um, so we all perform, because, you know, Rodney's there. We all crush it in our heads. Then Rodney gets up. And then he does that same joke. Hey, you work here, you got, it means you got no act and no life. Something like that. And I go, you know, everything's funny. And he and I stayed friends from that time on. Did he say any? Did he give you any notes about your set, or did he say anything like, "Hey, good job, man"? So you got to get out of here. Go to the East Coast or West Coast. You're ready. You got it. You're a natural. Holy Dude. shit! Yeah, but you know, you, you know, it was very sweet of him. You know, but you, you're overwhelmed by it. I never forgot that he cared enough. Yeah, you know, to say that, but you know, he said it to me while the other comics were there. Oh and man, that's so you know that put a bullet on my back. Anyways, a little bit <laughs> <laughs> right before it actually, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So then years later, I you know sporadic. We didn't talk every day, but you know Ronnie reached out to me from time to time and said, "Hey, how you doing? Hey, thanks for that scotch, man. I really appreciate it." He thanked me every time almost that I saw him. Oh, that's it so meant sweet. so much to him. So we did. He calls me. I'm starting to become successful. I think I'd already done the Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, HBO called me. They want me to do this comedy, Young Comedian Special. Uh-huh. I know you're past it, which was very sweet of him Aww. to say. It really was. I'm not, I, I, I don't think I've ever told this story, um, this part of it. And I go, yeah, Rodney, anything for you. And then we get there, and it's Harry Basil and, and uh, Rita Rudner, and Bob Nelson, Bob Nelson, yep. and Sam Kennison, and uh, Bob Saget, and um, Howie, Howie Gold, Howie Richie Gold, Richie Gold, yeah, and Yakov and Smirnoff, Yakov Smirnoff. So uh, he goes, "I'm going to put you on last as a homage, right?" And I go, "Ooh, I'd rather have third. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've been in TV taping. I'd yeah, rather be thing. third. Yeah, sometimes I don't want to be ten. Sometimes they, you know, people think like, oh, I'm being respectful by putting you last. Like, no, no that just no, means no. I'm the last no. of like twelve yeah. people to go up. Yeah, I'm yeah. third. Yeah, third's good. Yeah. The crowd's warmed up. Yeah. You get a, I'll get, let you know when I want to go catch on. Catch the yeah. wave early. Yeah. People yeah. are still excited. To well, be you there. know what I mean. Yeah, I know. I know exactly. Um. So they go on. There was four people go on. Then Sam goes on. And that was it. Because that was the night that people discovered Sam Kennison. Yeah. That was the night. That was this thing. The people in New York, everybody was having a good time. And the room stood still. They roared with laughter, but it stood still with uh, amazement. Like people turned to each other afterwards and went, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Nobody had ever said, hey, I'm sure the guy filming the starving children in Africa has a sandwich. <laughs> I'm sure he could give them a sandwich. And also just his energy. Yeah, just his Don't energy. feed him yet. Yes, yes, He's got to yes. look hungry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he did it all. And I went, oh, my God. Uh, 
I, everybody just sank. Anybody with any kind of thing sinks in that situation. If you're going to do your set, hey, I'm going to talk about butter. <laughs> hey, you ever have it? You ever have any? But I feel like everyone. Oh, Maurice Lamarche was on that too. Yeah, who I'm Maurice, still yeah. very good friends with. I love Maurice. Uh, he did all of his. Uh, he did all the the impressions. Like he, yeah. he, but it was such a well. And he was the brain. He was I'm yes, yes, the brain. I'm the brain, and and a million other, you know, yeah, yeah. Futurama, and I mean, yeah, like yeah. a million other voiceover but the things. Brain, to the, to this know, day. My, one of my favorite shows. Uh, the but brain. but everyone, I thought it was a very good. It was a it was a well put together lineup because I felt like everyone had a different voice and a different strength. Everybody had a point of view. And, you know, Bob Nelson was super fucking weird and Richie Gold was this guy. Yeah. And, you know, Harry Basil did this weird thing with a sword and yeah. Excalibur and Saget had his quick two-line jokes and you did the, let me move this mic stand so you can see me. Like, everyone had a, it was like, it was like a, like a super friends. Like, everyone yeah. had a superpower and I felt like everyone shined that night. Yeah. You know, of course, in hindsight, Sam being fifth and me being tenth, the crowd was ready for another person by then. <laughs> so it was good. <laughs> you know what I mean? In my mind, because I always, I was much more calculating than people might think as a comic. I might appear laid back and not, not okay, but I was very calculated about, you know, this guy's, this guy's, uh, this guy's killing the crowd. Gotta get him off there. You know, he's just dying. At, you know, oh, someone's it, having a bad set. Yeah, you know, you just want him off. And then I, Later, I just, oh, none of this matters really in the big scheme of things. I kind of think, though, I tend to think the opposite sometimes. If you're on a long, you know, if there's like eight or ten comics on a show and someone's having a rough set, I sort of feel like there's an opportunity after that to, like, bring some life back into the crowd and bring some energy back into the crowd. So, I, to me, I don't ever think, well, the room's dead now. I think, oh, well, now they're ready to, you know, like. Yeah, you're an eternal optimist. I guess I am you in are. a way. I, I am too, but. I don't know, with crowds. <laughs> I used to have to follow Sam, and then I would... You have to have a trick for following Sam, because he would completely drain the room, or Richard Pryor, or Eddie, or any of those people could drain the room, or Robin, he could drain the room. Yeah. You know, people were just like, oh, that's enough, that's enough, that's enough. You know, <laughs> I need a break, I need a break, right? <laughs> and I would do a thing. i go, Sam Kennison, ladies and gentlemen. Sam, come out. Come on out. He would come out and take a bow. I go, Sam Kennison. Is he great? Sam, <laughs> come back out one more time. <laughs> Sam, <laughs> Sam. Just let, let me try to get him out here. He's unbelievable. Did you, can you even believe he was doing that stuff? I mean, that stuff. You see him when he gets to heaven? You're going to wish the hell you've never seen. You're going to wish to me you've never seen my face. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I go, hold on a second. Get Sam, he was long gone. Or he'd give me the finger from back there. I'm not coming down. Sam, he knew what I was doing. And finally they go, enough, enough. What do you have? Right. And then I went, you know, because you have to, you know, it was just fun for me to do that. You know, Sam. Well, the, because what's, you know, that comedy experience is all about everyone's having a shared experience. And I think it's why it's very hard to shoot comedy and watch it on television because right. it's such an intimate experience. Even if there's, you know, a couple thousand people there, it's still an intimate experience. And as long as I think you can comment, 
It comes when people go up and they just like, this is the jokes that I wrote and I'm going to do them regardless of what's happening in the room. It's a little disconnected, but you're immediately, it's a brilliant thing to do because you're immediately connecting to what everyone's experiencing. Yes. And they're, and then they're ready to listen to you because they know you're present. That's exactly how I always start every show. So if I had trouble getting into the venue, they had trouble getting into the venue. Right. If I had trouble parking, they, they had trouble parking. <laughs> if it's cold outside, it's cold outside to me, too. Right. So I always started with, is this a screwed up entrance here or what? Yeah. You know, or whatever. You know, and I don't mean here. Kate just looked at me like, you mean here? <laughs> go, yeah, well, a little bit. But um, I think it's actually a nice little studio, but. Um, Did you ever see any of them? I'm sure. I mean, any of these guys, any of these guys that you mentioned, Pryor, Eddie, any of these guys. Did you ever see them have a rough set? And if yeah. you and if you did, did it kind of make you feel better in the sense of like, okay, everyone's human. You know, they're not superhuman as much as we can. You know, make people icons. <laughs> well, yes, but a couple of things would happen. Like Pryor would come in and start with one joke for his special when he was getting ready. He would work for we- a couple of weeks. In the OR, we'd get a call. Pryor's coming. You know, that's how it went. Richard's coming. Wow. You know, it would be passed around like that. Richard's going to be here about nine. He's going to get here about nine. (laughs) Okay. Why are we whispering? It's just us two. And um, so he would come in, and I would be there every night. I wanted to see this process. It was the special he was going to shoot after Sunset Strip. Okay. The one he did in New Orleans. Where was the crowd, it here and now? The crowd, or... Yeah. Yeah. And the crowd was just yelling the whole time. <laughs> hey, give me some. Do the fucking joke, motherfucker. Shut up. I can remember him saying something like that. <laughs> motherfucker. And um, he could say any dirty, nasty thing, and you never took it that way. Right. Because he was so connected to every single thing he did. And his guts were wide open when you were watching them. Yeah. So he would come and start with one joke. And he, he would get it first like a 10-minute standing ovation. Sure. Richard Pryor. Everybody would be ah! And then he would do that. And then he would struggle for 10 or 15 minutes. And I'd want to go in there and go, oh, guys. I was worried for him. I got, come on, this Richard Pryor. Just... Laugh at it, even if it isn't funny, you know. But he knew that he knew what he had to go through. It was an unbelievable process. And then, it, and then he would do like fifteen or twenty minutes, and then he would head out. He would do a couple things to save himself in the middle. Sure, yeah. Do the ham bone. What was that character he did? That yeah, uh, I can't think of it. But anyways, uh, and then he would his group would be there to meet him when he came up. Paul Mooney and those guys working on the special with him, and then they would all go. And then the next day, night, he would have three jokes. And then the next night, he would have five jokes. And then by the end of the first week, he would have like a, a solid half hour of, you know, of the skeleton. Right. And you could just see where it was going. It was fascinating. And it was things. But yes, I was always like, I was a little like, huh. <laughs> well, not everything goes well for everybody. <laughs> well, I, and I also think sometimes in, in a case like that, where someone gets a 10-minute standing ovation... The crowd, Amazing, right? The crowd's expectations are so high, yeah, that I feel like it that people can be less forgiving because they go, "Well, this is supposed to be the funniest guy in the world. Yeah. What is this?" And then they yeah. kind of can get a little weird about it because no one, because people, you know, most people they work whatever jobs they have. They don't think about the process. They just think, 
oh, this person just opens their mouth and they're funny. No, yeah, no, Yeah, no. they it's don't think fucking, we write these It's a things. fucking process. They don't think. Have you ever done that joke before? Yeah, like 3,800 <laughs> times I've done that's that the, joke. That's how you what make you it good. You got to do it a ton. You got to do the you art. You never say mean things to an audience. What are you, a moron or something? <laughs> I think the art is, I mean, the craft is in the writing and the art is making it seem fresh every time. The art is being able to do the oldest joke you have with the same enthusiasm that you're going to do a brand new joke. Yeah. That's true, Chris. That's exactly right. And it, it, that's the hardest thing in show business. Like the guys when they sing the song, the hit. Right. They want to sing the hit. I want to hear the hit. Don't just go... You know, just don't just lip sync it. Have you have you ever had a joke that you've done for a while that usually kills and it starts not killing, and then you go, "Oh, I think I'm not excited about this joke anymore," and they know it. It's true, and I will, I I don't know about you, but I will work on a joke for ten years. I have a joke that I that I worked on for ten, maybe twelve years. I finally got the (laughs) punchline. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, it was enough of a joke that I could do. My mom would, I did a lot of stuff on my mom, and she would drive us, we were 10 and 12, me and my brother, and it was like arduous, because my mom was all, now what are you boys up to? You're ruining our lives. Leave us alone. We're up to no good. What else? And she would go, she would make us, me and my brother Tommy, guess the price she paid for her outfits. And we had no, we don't know what, we. I mean, come on. Kids, what do you think I got this outfit for? And she's right in front of the TV, so we had to answer, you know. And I would, I was, sorry, what? She, you, she was blocking the TV. TV, yeah, so we had to answer. <laughs> Come on, they're going to get off the island this time. <laughs> um, uh, and I said, I said, because I was like this kind of kid. 1100 we didn't even have 11 we never had $1,100 you know Louie 900 and I always knew that that wasn't the joke I go I just saying I don't know that was it right the joke was in I mean what I liked about the joke was that my mom would ask us to guess the price for the clothes and I thought 900 was okay but I always knew I go this is not the good this is not it there's a joke underneath this, which is always my belief. Every great joke almost always has right underneath it the best joke. You just have to be willing to 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 keep working on it. Yeah. So one night I'm in Vegas and I it's October and I'm there and I do the joke. What do you think I got this outfit for? Halloween? <laughs> and I got the biggest roar, right? But I, at least 12 years, I did not give up on that joke. And it finally paid off. And, I, and, I, and that's how much I love jokes. That's how much I care about my jokes. I had another joke about butter where I, my mom says, um, first words out of her mouth at a restaurant, can we get some extra butter? And the guy goes, yeah, but let us seat your party first, ma'am. And then I forget the comic's name, a real nice comic. He gives me a tag and he goes, "Um, here's a tag for that. And you think, all right, I'm open to it. Um, Yeah, but don't use the word lettuce again. Right? I go, that is a good good line. 
so I do it. But it, it gets a laugh, but it's not, I don't hardly ever do it because I do it. I, I have mixed feelings because it's not my, it doesn't fit in my, have you, do you have jokes like that? That doesn't fit in with your. Doesn't, well, no, but it's a great joke. And I'll just do it together. Um, when he goes, let, it, let us seat you first. Okay, but don't use the word lettuce again. Right, because you just. Right, because he said. Let us seat you yes, again. Yes, yes, of course. So it's a word joke. I love wordplay. But that's the thing is that if it's not – to you, it's kind of an empty laugh because it's not It's not this kind of – It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit My mom wouldn't have said it. My right. mom wouldn't have said it because it would have been condescending to the guy. So you need, you, you need your joke to have some ring of authenticity. Like there has oh, to be a – I just fixed the joke. What? I'll do it for you. You Please. ready? Yeah. Um, well, let us seat you first. Okay, I say, but don't use the word lettuce again. <laughs> That's what you That's say. It. That's it. That's it. That's it. Because I you can would do say. it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. It'll. it'll I'm going to try it. You should absolutely I'm try, try it. it on Friday night at Caroline's. Oh, you're going to be at Caroline's this weekend? Friday and Saturday. Oh, yeah. fantastic. I love that club. Isn't that great? That's just such a great. It's right there. Like we're like you are sitting right there. Yeah. I mean, it's right there. I mean. But also holds. It's it's tough to find a club that holds a lot of people where people in the back don't get lost and it, they've managed the layout of the room's really good. Caroline knew what she was doing. With she that. really did. She really knew. I worked that club she had back in the forties <laughs> in sixty uh, ninth and fourteenth or whatever they always say to me. You were at my club on sixty eighth and forty sixth. Oh, was I? Oh yeah. I have no idea because I'm from Minnesota. We don't have any kind of configuration <laughs> with sixty eighth and forty fourth. Those are parallels in our minds. Yeah, she did a great. But, all, you know, <laughs> Minneapolis is a great. I know you're from St. Paul, but Minneapolis is a great comedy market, too. Yes. Uh, Acme. Acme's fantastic. Acme people love that club. Yeah. Now, I'm post-Acme. Yeah. You know, it cleared up. I got proactive. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. You can't. You have to say it. I never said it before, so it was just it was bad. Cut that out for me, will you? No. Katie. No, it's all staying in. Um, that's what Pete Holmes does. That's my Pete Holmes. Yeah. Uh, I tried to get Steel Katie to help me with my podcast, for, and Pete Holmes put a block on it. <laughs> he goes, oh, I think she's pretty uh He pod blocked you? Yeah. He, he, pod, yeah. he pod blocked you. <laughs> he cast blocked me. <laughs> he did. He podcast. I no, but no, I know pod is right. I had, no, I had no idea. Damn I had no it. Idea. Pod was, is right. I had no idea he was such a Joffrey with his... Uh, <laughs> With the podcast, with I didn't the even cut, know could dance. The, cut, <laughs> the cutthroat world of podcasts. I want that Louis Anderson muscling in, muscling in. Hey, say, well, why don't I do stuff with your network? And he goes, I do it with Chris Hardwick. <laughs> I go, shut up. My mom hated your mom. Well, you know the funny, the funny when I when I met you in like '96, yeah, at Mo Gaffney's place, Mo. Uh, who was the funniest deliveries of all time? Incredible, Mo and Kathy Najimy. Yeah, and, and, and Najimy. Uh, I was a I was a fan of theirs, and I couldn't believe that I was at Mo Gaffney's place, and then you were there, and I was a huge fan of yours. This was '96, so it was you know I had known who you were for like 12 years at this point, and uh, maybe maybe probably longer. And uh, and this thing you said about encouraging people, we were hanging out, and you go. Hey, you're pretty funny. And I go, and to me, it was like the biggest compliment in the world. That was like, you know, Rodney saying to you, hey, you, should, you know, and uh, and you let me open for you at the Irvine Improv. 
and I really hadn't done a lot of comedy out of college at that point, and I didn't really understand a room. And the first night I performed, and I had a great set. And so the second night, I invited my parents and my girlfriend, <laughs> and, and it was the worst. The first joke didn't go well, and I just didn't have the experience. I didn't know what to do after that. I was like, oh, I don't. And so I immediately start sweating. The crowd starts feeling pity. I get off stage. Other comics who are there are like, how long have you been doing this? I'm like, I guess I don't know. <laughs> and then I was so – you totally – you were so sweet and supportive and you gave me the piece of advice that I still give people who ask me if they should start stand-up. You go, don't worry about it. Just get on stage a hundred times and then see how you, see how you feel after that. Like yeah. see who you are after that. You won't know until you're on stage at least a hundred times. It's true. And you were and absolutely right. I'm glad, right. you know. I'm glad that that happened because – the world's better with you in it. I, that's very sweet. No, but it is. The comedy world, like I always, I, I use you as an example sometimes. I go, Chris Hardwick, you know, he didn't just one day, he didn't just pop into this. <laughs> he's been he's been doing his, he did his, he worked his ass off. You know, because you, I mean, you, ha, there's a journey. I always tell comics, I go, you know, show business is like Disneyland. When it's really packed. And the line is so long for the ride. And you go, forget it. And I go, show business like that. If you get out of the line, you know, you yeah. have to get back. You have to, eventually you're going to have to keep going back to the end of it. I go, stay in that line. Because you also know that if you stay in the line, a bunch of other people are going to get out. That's and right. the line's going to jump. They're, exactly. You're going to experience these moments where it's like, oh, I just, wow, I was back there. But now I just, ju- I just jumped. And then, you know, a producer points to you in show business and goes, what do you do, kid? Comedy? Hey, warm up this show for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just happens like that. Like, I always am nice to the assistants of executives because lots of times they become the executives. Of course. Because, <laughs> you know, I just fired Carl today. What do you do here? I'm his, I'm his assistant. You're the new Carl. <laughs> you're the head of no, development. No, I'm Cindy. No, you're Carl, Cindy. You're not going to. You're going to be my Carl. Is it true? It, uh, yeah, it absolutely is true. It's the same, but it's, it's the same rule applies to, you know, you could be in the mailroom one year and then at someone's desk being their assistant like Alex. And then within three years, you could be, you know, head of something. Exactly. Cause it just, I mean, look, at Cal- you know what I love about Alex? He did it his way. He remained a great, nice guy. Yeah. He didn't become the person he worked for. No, he hates drama. You know, he's he He wants he he's a a nice guy. I've never seen him mad, really. And, you know, he's just he's like, you know, I'm a problem solution guy. You know, if problem comes up, don't try to kiss him then. No, never. (laughs) No, I'll hold him softly. (laughs) You know, now he's he's but he's doing he's doing so great. great He's doing he's doing so great. And he's done such great work with everybody. And he would give you advice no matter what. You know, I don't, it doesn't matter that I don't work with them. Yeah. If I needed advice on something, he would give me the honest truth about it. Yeah. And that's all you ask for in show business. Yeah. If you could get the truth. Yeah. That's the worst part about show business. People feel that you can't handle the truth. They really do. They feel like, well, you just weren't, you need to hear you're not a good actor. Right. You need to hear that you're, you weren't prepared. In a constructive way. Well, if, from someone who you know cares, not yeah, just, I mean, not just yes. someone being a dick. Well, I know, but you do need to hear the truth. Yeah. But you have to also be responsible enough to say, hey, I never learned one good thing, by the way, from somebody saying great show. Right. I never learned nothing. I learned from the guy who said, you know, if you did that stuff about your family and you had a clean act, you could become famous. I heard that. 
And I was lucky. Roman DeCaro's, God rest his soul, he pulled me aside. He said, you do that family stuff, and you do a completely clean act, because I used to swear back then. He go, you do that. You're so likable. You'll become successful. God. I never forgot him for doing that. I'm so jealous of the clean jokes. I really Well, am. you know, they're just innately, they're just innately me. It's, it isn't. I, I have an alter uh, ego called Dink Anderson. <laughs> Where I'm filthy, and I'm everybody is begging me to do some filthy jokes because I have a filthy set. Do you do it on? You do it on 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 stage, never, but right. with friends, right? I'll do it. Listen, you know what your problem, and then I just go into it. You know, Dink Anderson here, folks. I am the main act, you pricks. Um, <laughs> if there was a themed show one night where it was like, everyone's going to do their filthiest material, you could do it. I would come and do it. And no one would think twice well, about it. I'd get, I'm sure it wouldn't go over with some of my fans, but if they knew I was doing it, it's kind of like a uh, Tony Clifton yeah. from the Midwest more. Yeah. More Tony from, uh, the Carlton celebrity room. Yeah. You know, you know, just cause those, you know, there's a, who knows how, a career twister turns for a comic. You know, uh, sometimes you'll see a guy and he's got, he's got the ma- all the makings of it. Right. But he's not doing anything that's important. You always tell comics, does the stuff you're doing on stage mean anything to you? Yeah. And they'll go, what do you mean? I go, just what I said. I, I said, because if it doesn't mean anything to you, why should I give a shit about it? Right. It's got to mean something to you because otherwise, how can you do it? For, how can you work on a joke for 12 years if it doesn't mean something to you? <laughs> Am I right? Well, yeah. And I always, I don't give advice to people who I don't think. I gave you that advice because you, I knew what you were, you were funny, you were engaging, but also I knew that you were serious about doing something. I knew that you were searching for the thing. People are either searching or they're placeholding their spot. Right. They're just a place, you know. That's why comics come and go so much, you know, and I have a comic friend. I go, he's so hysterical. And I go, you know, your heart's not in it, is it? He goes, not really. He goes, I, 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 I'd be, I don't want to be no good on the road. I'd be lonesome. And I go, well, you shouldn't do it then. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not a, it's not the easiest lifestyle. <laughs> I don't think very many people, I mean, I don't think it. I don't think. I think you're kind of built for it, don't you? Do I, me personally? No, people. Oh, people, yeah. People. Some yeah, people man, are built it, for it, and, and I think it's sort of like a weird, I, I almost think it's like a flaw that becomes armor in some way. Like, it, it's, you know, when people say, like, a comic needs to be on stage. It's not just, oh, I right. want to be. It's like, yeah. no, I really got to, I really need to perform. I, I can't help it, I, no matter how bad or how well. But but after the after the the nightmare that was that show I did at the Irvine Improv, I was I did one other show you know, at Largo that did not go very well and then I was really scared for like a year and a half I didn't go on stage. Oh. And then I realized, oh, here was my mistake. I got up in front of these rooms with no real experience, so I just started doing open mics again, which was a fun. That was very good for you to see. It was that. great. Cuz you shouldn't, you know, like somebody said to me, uh I, I this really profound thing. He said um uh, it was some kind of guy who tried to get me in this motivational thing. He goes, you know what? why you struggled on that one Tonight Show that you struggled? And I go, what? He goes, you know that Tonight Show that you didn't do very well on? 
and everybody knows how well they did on every Tonight Show. I go, what about it? He goes, you put too much importance on the outcome, and you weren't prepared for it. And I go, what? Wait a minute, what? What do you mean? You know, when somebody says something, you know, I know all the words are right. Right. What is it? Could you? I'm I'm a little dumb. You know, I always admit my that I'm a little dumb. Can you can you walk me through it? And he goes, you put so much importance on that Tonight Show being as good as the first one. He goes, you you were doing a disservice to you because the first one was, you know, that's your that's seven years you worked on that material, and you had to come up with another set. He says, and you put so much pressure on yourself that there was no way that you could deliver that Tonight Show like you delivered your first one, which was because of the adrenaline and all the, you were prepared. He said, you were prepared. He goes, you can't, but you can't emotionally put all that importance on something. So you have to, you know, and and isn't it true? Well, what's the answer? When you walk out on stage, well, when you walk out on stage, you should be a big smile on your face and go, if this doesn't work out, it's no big deal. Right. But you, you you know, with, in your mind, but I am a great standup. Right. But you do, you can't put too much, you know, haven't you ever been in front of executives for, and doing a showcase? Oh my God. My God, I used to fold like a, a cheap <laughs> suit. I used to go, I go, Aggie, I'm Aggie, my, my mom is, there's butter in the fridge. Ah! Oh my God, he's my not okay. My dad was mean in the country. Somebody help him. Right? <laughs> I didn't mean to do that to you, Katie, I'm sorry. Yeah, but it is, it's, it's, it really is the control, the trying to control the result. And I think trying to control the result also prevents people from doing a lot of things because they go, well, I don't, if I can't control that, this is going to be the most amazing thing in my life. I think what you have to do is be prepared for any results. Sure. Are you prepared? But we're not preparing. People are not preparing. So whatever you're the most worried about, you should prepare for those results. My dad once yelled at me from midnight till six in the morning because I left butter out. <laughs> and I go, you, if you never had that experience, you, but you, you, but you've, you've talked, you you said your dad was a drunk, was an alcoholic. Yes. Yeah. But that didn't make him any less cruel. But no, but I'm saying, but that feel, but for you, was that fairly in line with how he was most of the time? No, but he could be that guy. Right. I didn't mean to take. No, 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 no. That was a profound thing you said, though, thinking that you have some control of. Well, yeah, I mean, I I think we, you know, we don't think that's true, though. I don't mean that we have to get off on that. No, I just I think I think it's very I think we kid ourselves that we can control most of the results or we get very comfortable in our routine. And so, you know, things become relatively predictable and we think, okay, well, I have control. I mean, ultimately, you don't. Yeah, we think we do. We have control over less than what we think we have. But, you know, I think anything is just about trying to you know just get through the process or figure out how to you know the people that survive the best are the ones who adapt like yes. the ones that figure out how do i take this thing that someone else would look at how do i take you know if i fuck something up i can beat myself up about it for 10 years yeah but you know someone else might go okay i fucked this thing up I'm, i'll feel bad about it for a couple of days but how could I do better? Or what could I learn from this? Or what could I extrapolate from this experience? Or how could I use this failure and spin it into a pot, you know? Like, or you're a comic. Or you're a comic. Because isn't that a comic that does that time and time again? That's, yeah. I mean, how many of the first hundred shows were great? Oh, yeah. and not a, Well, but that's the genius of doing a hundred shows 
is that, you know, I would say to people, do if you do the 100 shows, do them as quickly as possible because I think if you do two shows a month and one of them doesn't go no, well in yeah, your mind, you go yeah. 50% of that month I fucked up. If you do 30 shows in a month, you know, maybe five or six of them were, you know, two of them were terrible, five or six of them were bad, the rest were good. Then in your mind, you have a nice percentage of like, okay, I, you know, I got like a B minus. That's not bad. Yeah. You know, like I'm learning. And then the whole time you're learning how to get better. You're so smart. At better. Well, I don't know about that. No, I, you're smart. You're one of those people I look at and go, I can't think like that. Nah, it's not you, a bad thing or a good thing. It just is. It's uh, just who you are. Um, but you know where it really comes from, that whole hundred thing, is the treatment centers or, or AA and 12-step. Yeah. Do 90 meetings in 90 days. Go to 90 meetings in 90 days. And then see how you feel. Yeah, see if you can. Can you do that? Can you make that commitment? Yeah. Because that's all I was saying to you. Do 100 shows. I like the and just see what happens approach, though. Because, because you have no... You don't know. You might not like it at 100 days. But at least you try it. You should give it 100 days because, you know, you would give you have to give college 100 days. Right. And this is going to be your profession. Right. You know, yeah. and I, the other thing I tell comics, work at hard, work as hard at getting someone into bed and getting drugs. Work that hard on your act. Yeah. I go work that hard on your act that that where you could go, you know, I'm really I'm sick in bed. I have some drugs. I'll be right over. <laughs> If you're sick, you should still go down to perform and go, I'm sick. Isn't it horrible to perform when you're sick? <laughs> How do you workshop new stuff? Do you just sprinkle it in? I did new jokes from the very first Tonight Show. I threw, I did ad libs and jokes that came into my head no matter what. I always added a new joke and Macaulay would say to me, hey, we never went over that joke. I go, oh my God, didn't we? I thought we did. <laughs> I would lie right to him. I go, but it worked, didn't it? And then he and would go, go, "Yeah, yeah, where?" And then he would go, "And you got to stop hanging your bathing suit on the railing." <laughs> oh, I didn't. I, did I hang the bathing suit on the railing? <laughs> he was I a monster. Remember. Did you ever hang out with Johnny at all? No, I used to tell people we went bowling in Minnesota. <laughs> How is he? He's a good bowler. I could tell you that. I bet he was a good bowler. I bet he was a good bowler. I bet he had his own ball. I'm sure he had his own ball. He had at least, you know, I'm sure he had one that was fabulous too. Um, Johnny, I think had was the guy who had a tremendous routine. And, you know, the comics, I think they love a routine. And I don't mean just on stage, but I think we love a routine. Like, I used to love being, the, the you know, when I started out, I'd get up when I wanted to, 10, between 20, 10 and noon, or you know, and then just kind of, like, walk in, work into the day. Yeah. And then, you know, go on, you know, get ready to go and then make phone calls and then go down and... I'd call the comedy store and find out who had showcases every night. And then I would try to get on right before them or after. Oh, really? Yeah. Why? Because if they were looking at them, why couldn't they look at me? Oh, those show. Oh, I see. I'm, I, I mean, I meant, like, you know, network. Oh, right, and, right, right. Yeah, right, network. Right, right, right. And, and the Tonight Show, that guy used to, I would always, and he'd walk out right when I went on. He would walk out as soon as I went on because he hated me. It was such a, you know, the 80s were such an interesting time for comedy because there was so much. It was like, it's like everything got so saturated with comedy. Everyone, I feel like the approach was different then because I feel like so many people were just trying to find their hook, whatever their yeah. fi five minute, like quickly recognizable. This is my evening at the improv set in five minutes so I can get a TV deal or whatever. This is the five minutes that I was never trying to do that. Were you? Was I? Yeah. No. I never tried to do that where I go. I'm just going to do, I would just try to do the best set. And I would always read the audience. 
I by the time I started doing the stick comedy full time, I actually excuse me. <laughs> I didn't really have a plan with it. I <laughs> it was just more well, I just want to get better at this, so I'm just going to do it and you know, it I well, that was your plan, though. Yeah, but it took me 10 years of doing stand-up just around L.A. before I actually started going on the road and headlining. Yeah. wasn't until, you know, very late. In Seven for me, so it doesn't... It, it just took a long time. I always tell people, you know, it does, you can't wait long enough to become successful. And You'll then, be more prepared for it. And then, you gotta, and then I had to throw out all the jokes that I was doing in L.A. when I got onto the road and realized people didn't want to hear audition stories. <laughs> yeah, people don't want to hear that. <laughs> what are you doing? What is it? <laughs> Can I get some uh, nachos? This guy's no good, honey. This guy. Hey, where's it? Bring uh, bring Cannonball out. Is Cannonball back there? Cannonball. <laughs> I'm piecing together the story yeah. of who Cannonball, Cannonball is. Cannonball. Cannonball. Hey, you guys, this was a really great show yeah, tonight. Cannonball. And Cannonball just like. Do the stomach. Put your, pull your shirt up. Show your, show your Cannonball. <laughs> Does he build up? Does he spend the whole hour building up to the Cannonball? Oh, yeah, he can't do it too early. He can't do it right away. No. <laughs> You can't. You might give him a peek on the side of your stomach, but you don't. You do not pull that shirt up. You do not pull that shirt up that has something written. You got by it. the way. Yeah. You know. I remember seeing people blast off. <laughs> ah, like a rocket, like a cannonball. I've been cannonball. You've been great. He reminds me of Dave. Ah, he reminds me of Dave. <laughs> It's always someone that they know. It's always. Oh, it's true. I thought you were talking about. You know who I thought you were talking about? Dave. uh, Who is the Dave in our life? Famous Dave. It was what's his name's brother on Showtime and had specials. Dave. Which? It was always in the evil Knievel suit. Dave. Oh, um, you mean uh, uh, it was Super, Dave. Dave? Super Dave? Super Dave, Dave right? Albert I couldn't get the Super Dave. Einstein. When you get older, all the Dave Einstein. Yeah, the, yeah. all the words yeah, are available Super Dave. when you Super get Dave older. Osborne. Yeah, one time I was doing a comic relief, and I was in a. We were all in a on the thing getting a group picture. Yeah, and Super Dave was up there, and he goes, "Louie," and I thought, "Oh, is it? what?" And he throws me his keys. He goes, "Get my car." <laughs> 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 I did. You know why of not? Of course you have course. to. Super Dave. Where is but is Super Dave still he's not Ah, he's just Dave now. Just Dave. But he was great. Really great. Because he did a he was so tongue in cheek about how he did it. It was really clever stuff. It was you know what I mean? It wasn't really I don't think it was very common knowledge that he and Albert Brooks were brothers though. It wasn't really like something I don't that, think anyone knew who Albert Brooks was. Well they compared of course to they, Super Dave. Well, that must have yeah, been irritating. I mean huh? yeah. yes, look at this guy puts Am I gonna get a suit? Is that their lunch? What am I gonna get a funny suit to wear? Am I gonna shoot out of a cannon? And you don't even shoot out of the goddamn cannon. Jesus. How many albums hey, I put out? Could I get more butter? Could I he was a yeah, they're butter people. They're you butter people. Tell, yeah, they're butter people. Albert Brooks, he's so brilliant. <laughs> what uh, show is what show was he in recently? Or movie? He was so good in it. Oh, um, he was. Uh, oh, he played someone's father in it. I ah, always so good. You know, him and Richard Lewis used to come to the comedy store together. Richard and it was I like seeing both the same. 
because they were so neurotic. They right. would neurot back and forth. Each but other. Richard, Richard would do a lot. I feel like Richard's stories were more, you know, oh, everyone, I hate myself. I don't know what to do. I'm terrible in bed. And Albert Brooks was more, he really did. You hate yourself. You don't know what to do in bed. <laughs> but he also did I those really surreal. That. He also did those really so kind of like metal it was meta the, jokes that he would do. Yeah, you do this stuff that I would just go, what is that? What is that? that what is it's that? It's time mean? for another kooky comedy call. Am I right? Yeah. He was just so good. Yeah. He, he had so much confidence in doing it, but he was probably just the same amount of insecurity as Richard was. But I mean, in a I different imagine, way. I imagine most comedians. What probably. did he do it? The cookie comedy call? He would it was, do that? I think it was on Comedy Minus One. I think it was on his album Comedy Minus One. He would do these like fake radio calls. It's time for another kooky crazy. And of course, they weren't kooky or yeah, crazy at yeah. all. Uh, but he. Uh, he, I remember him on the Tonight Show doing something where like Johnny was like banging the desk. Yes, he was laughing. Yes. I think it was he so put an, inside, put an egg in his mouth, and he was doing uh, curly. Like was he doing Brando? No, I think it was Curly from the Three Stooges, oh. like eating a jalapeno or something, and he just did the and then like get fucking broke Carson in half. Yeah, Johnny loved that. Johnny was so such a, you know, they, that's the greatest thing about Johnny Carson. He. He loved comics and he loved people who were original and great. And he didn't care because I know that those weren't the guests that the producers and the network wanted on. Sure. He just had them on. Or he'd have a guy come and do close up magic, which always made me laugh. <laughs> well, <laughs> Johnny were, could do whatever he wanted. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Well, point, he was yeah. the true king of, of late night and comedy at the time. Did, did you, did your being, because you had, aren't you one of 11 kids? Yeah. Was anyone else in your family funny intentionally? Yeah, my, my brother Roger was much funnier than I am. Really? Yeah, but it just you know wasn't the timing. I mean, he did he did more jokes, 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 jokes that were jokes you'd heard. Right. Like I heard a funny joke and he'd tell it. Right. And I was more like you know, I just was who I I just, hey, hi, you know, I was just presenting what I saw and what I experienced, and you know, Bob Hope. Um, you know, um, Jonathan Winters, uh, Jackie Vernon, Jackie Gleason, of course, Jack Benny for gave me a tremendous timing deal that I really loved that he did. And those were my guys. My, my brother was more like a Char- Charlie Callis guy. Oh, right. Just like really a noise funny. maker. Ah, nah, nah, yeah. nah, nah, like nah, a guy nah. at a party where you're like, oh, my God, that guy's the fucking yes. funniest. But it's difficult. People to- always say it to me, you know, at times. Hey, I met your brother. You know, the one that's funnier than you. <laughs> and they were, they were not being mean. They were just being Midwestern. But I'm telling you, people don't realize there's a difference between the guy who's funny at a party and then being able to bottle that and put it on stage right. in a structure. It's a completely different thing. That's a hundred times. That's, that's the start a, of that yeah. is learning how to be a chemist. Yeah. It's alchemy, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it alchemy when you're up there? Yeah. I was happy that I once learned that word. And I use it as often <laughs> as possible. Hey, it's all alchemy, man. Oh my God. He's right. He's the most insightful person <laughs> I've ever heard. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you're absolutely right about the, uh, I love this idea of spending 12 years to just perfect a joke. Cause it's, and, and, and the fact that you believed in it for that long. I did. That I you said, just, there's a joke here. You're there. I don't know where it's like, st- I always think comedy is like, you know, the game boggle yeah. you know, the, where you shake up all the letters and you like, you write every word that you can see and you go, I got all the words. And someone comes up with like 20 words. Oh my God. It was right there. Your mom, as she's setting the, the sandwiches down. Oh, Supercalifragilistic is there. Fuck, you, you man! Circle. 
<laughs> I wish I was a cleaner comic. I really do. I don't, I don't think it would fit you. It does. It may. I don't you know, know. I think you could be that guy, but it wouldn't be you. Maybe. And I don't think. I think your era, clean comedy is hard for after my group. But you do it. Gaffigan does it. Yeah, Gavigan does it. And, you know, but I think you have to, I think what we have created that, you know, may not be who you've created. We've created characters up there. We're characters that people are. How close do you think your character is to you? Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I think uh, more and more these days I'm working on, uh, I've taken down another couple of partitions. Um, I did it the other night at the, at the Largo. What a great place, huh? Oh, Largo. yeah, Largo. Yeah. I, mean, I, I like to try and, you know, Mark is so great to me. lets me do a show once a month. And I just love it. You do a show there, don't you? Every oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. It, but, but yeah, Largo's, Largo's one of the spots around town to so do it's such shows. A, there's just like, a, it's almost like, they, where'd they get these people? They're so good. I oh, the audience? Felt, yeah. yeah. I always go, where'd you guys, where are you guys? <laughs> Where are you hiding? Where are you guys? How come you're not in my other shows? Where are more of you? Can um, I just duplicate you? And so the other night, I did that whole tirade. I'd never done it about my dad waking me up out of a sound sleep and making me come downstairs and confess to leaving the butter out. And I did it in character. I did it in character with both people, me and my dad. And I did it how it really went down. And it was really a little intense and got a little emotional. I didn't let it seep out, but it was very emotional for me. And and that is exactly where I'm going. That's exactly where I'm going. I'm going to have a... Because I had that automatically in my first special. I didn't have a filter. And then when I became successful, I started filtering things. I started trying to please other people. Because you were worried about... I was just trying to... I wanted people to like me. Sure. I wanted I wanted HBO to do all my specials. I wanted this person. I wanted to be the top of the heap. I wanted to be king of the hill. I wanted all that. And then, so I started scrubbing and sanitizing and, you know, making it perfect. Or, or try, I tried to please people. But my greatness in me is about completely just being in the moment of my dad, half-snapped, drunk, holding on to the banister, I'm on the step, and he's going, did you do it, Louie? You can just tell me, you know. No, you can't, I said in my head. I can't tell him. You never can tell your dad that because he's worse if you tell him the truth. You do it? You do it? No, I didn't do it. And then I finally, the whole bit went on for like, I think 17 minutes, and I went, I did it. I did it. I, I couldn't help myself. I saw it, and I just did it. Because I had no memory of doing it. It just I got my sandwich, and I left the butter out. You did it? Was your brother involved? I go, yes. And then he woke my brother up. My brother comes down. Were you involved, or was it Louie's idea? It was Louie's idea. All right, go back to bed. Why'd you? And, but I, knew the, I know the pathology of my father. That's all in me also. You know, that really cruel, horrible, uh, addicted human being that anybody who's an addict knows. And so why should I not bring him out and put him in full display as I do with Christine on the show? 
Vasquez. Why shouldn't I do that with my dad? That I do it with my mom. I've done that with my mom and my act. I've said, but why not bring? Because I used to bring my dad out, and I, and he would be in the act, and I would get into that cruelty, and I would get into that stuff, and then at the end of the show, I would say, "Hey, be good to your families because it really matters. Be good to your kids. It makes a difference." And it, I always get too emotional in these things, but it meant something to me. Well, maybe now it's time that you're ready. Maybe you're ready now to. Yeah, of course, of course. I don't. I'm not. I'm. I. I wasn't ready because. And maybe I'm just making excuses that I sanitized. Yeah, that's exactly what I was doing. I was using. I was blaming. My dad taught me how to blame really well. So, but I don't think you did anything. I mean, no, but I think you do it. You do it, but don't you? You you blame them for trying to please them, and then them not accepting. But I think you. I I think, and this is just my unsolicited opinion. I think your whole thinking about the whole process is flawed because I don't think you you present it like you did something wrong back then. I sanitized. I did. You didn't do anything wrong. You did the things that felt right to you in the moment with the information that you had. And it's easy for you in hindsight to go, well, I could have, but maybe audiences wouldn't have been ready for it, you particularly at so that together, time. You're not like that too. No, I'm not saying, oh, of course I, I am. No, I just want to know. Of course I am. I'm just saying we're like that. But, but, but that's how I can, in us. but that's how I can recognize that. I mean, you know, there, there were, there were a handful of people in that time in comedy that, you know, the Bill Hicks of the world who just yeah. fucking wanted to push people's buttons and didn't give a shit and was very like, hey, you're, fuck you, you're dumb, you know. And I'm, I'm, that's very reductionist. Yeah. I mean, he was a brilliant comic. Yeah, but, I'm, but, but, I, but I mean, way. you could sum him up like that. But, but in the sense, but in that, in that sort of a sense, you know, I don't think audiences at that time, I don't think their brains were ready for that kind of honesty. And I feel like now comedy audiences, you know, uh, are, are more ready for that. There's we've seen comedy for the past several decades and we, you know, we're a little more evolved. And so I think maybe you're ready for it now and maybe the audience is ready for it now. So I don't think, I honestly think you did, you did what you did and it was right in the moment and it was right for the time. Yeah, no, I'm not blaming them, me otherwise. I'm telling you what the, what happened. Right. I'm just reviewing it with you. And you're you're so kind and loving and caring, despite your you know sometimes sarcasm. You are trying to make me feel better. Well, I want you to understand that. For what purpose, though, is it that you want me to understand? Because I I guess maybe care. it's it's an empathy about care. like. When I see people being hard on themselves, I'm like, oh, you don't need to do that. Yeah. Because it doesn't change anything. Does that work with you? You don't need to do it. Does that work with you? Um, No, I'm not saying I'm great at not doing it. No, I'm not. Like, this isn't like a thing. I appreciate what you did. But I just believe. Your kindness is always, to me, really evident. Like, I can see it. I can see how kind you really are. I just, when I I look back at every experience (laughs) that that I got upset over or I freaked out or I got stressed about what if this happens, what if this happens. And it didn't change the experience. I mean, it didn't change the outcome either way. No. And then I know I, that. Yeah. So I know that. But I'm just excited for you because it sounds like that after, you know, 35 years of doing comedy, yeah. maybe that 38. 38 years of doing comedy yeah. that you. But 35 where I was really good. We were re- <laughs> <laughs> that you've kind of. That 33 where I was great. You're no, still discovering kidding. this thing of like, wow, I yeah. still. It's there's still new things that I'm excited to go out yes. and I mean that's that's fantastic. Isn't it a great thing? I and I always say to people, 
comics, everybody. What's your thing? Do it. Don't be afraid. Be fearless. Be fearless. Even though I'm just saying, I don't mean you should throw everything you have away, but you should plan to become fearless. And even if you're not fearless, experience fear and then do the shit anyway. Yeah. Like, you know what? Like I always say, nobody's shooting at comics yet. (laughs) So it's probably a good, nobody's strapping stuff on them and going into a comedy show and blowing stuff up. Comedy is now, I feel like there's such a fertile, it's a fertile time for comedy. There's, it's the new 80s. It, yeah, the comedy it's store definitely is the on new fucking 80s. fire right it's now. It's definitely the new 80s. The I was there the other fire. night, yeah. and I go, I'm going to crush it now. I said, I'm going to crush it tonight. I went up. I think there was everybody was waiting in line. Yeah. There were lots of Mark Maron was there. I go, I'm going to crush it. I'm going to go up there and just crush I'm going to crush this stuff I want to do. And I was working on it, and I crushed it. Uh, I used great. to go and do The Tonight Show, you know, and if it went well at the comedy store, The Tonight Show didn't go as well. So I was always happy if the tonight sh- if the comedy store didn't go as Why well. Why do you think that was? I think because I just needed to get my order right and I needed to get the patter down. Right. And I didn't care about the re- I was just trying to get it thing. So if I but I had to I need to hold back from killing it. Mm-hmm. I needed to just present it. Right. Here's a joke. Will this work? Haha, I got the right. Cuz I can measure if I don't give the joke the whole thing, I can re- measure what its potential is. I know where the the Geiger counter can go. Right. So as every comic does, like when somebody laughs when you're talking to them, you know you want to get that joke filed. Right. Because that you know there's a a beautiful joke there. But like you, somebody said to me, um, do, who he said I grew up on the wrong guys, and I go me too. And uh, <laughs> but it was so inside that I thought. <laughs> But <laughs> I think he said I grew up under the wrong guys somehow. And I maybe I just thought that. Anyways, it was the weirdest thing. <laughs> the whole thing but made me really laugh. But there but there, is that that's one of the things you're like, well, I don't know if I could do that on stage. Could you do that yeah, on stage? Yeah, I could do it. Oh yeah. I'm completely there with my fans and I you know, I talk to them about, you know, what you know, when I'm feeling, what I'm feeling and how I'm feeling cuz I want them to know cuz they paid that money to know how I'm doing, what I'm doing, and how I'm feeling. They did. They did not pay that money to just hear jokes. They are connected to me. Yeah. They've been coming to see me for 30 years plus. Yeah. So the majority of them, and I have touched them somehow. So in whatever I did to touch them, I better touch them that night. Yeah. Right? Because if I just mail it in, I never, I, I hate that when I when I have a set that I go, you know, like if I have a heckler or somebody yelling out, I go, I just, I just immediately get that taken care of, either through with them or I just go to the side and go get that guy out of here, or that woman out of here. Yeah, I just, just do just to crush it. What? What? Just I, I just to get, get it, out of the way. It isn't for me because I can handle it. Just for the experience for the audience. You know, it's like you know, your family's not in show business, right? So you shouldn't subject them to stuff. <laughs> But you're in show business, so you can handle whatever anyone says. Right. Or you should be able to or get used to it. And the same with, they don't, they, I don't want the attention to be on that person because the crowd will get concerned for me and then I'll get mad. And once I get mad, I lose the audience because they've never seen me. They don't want to see you mad. They don't want to see me mad because I get really mad. They don't want to see it. You know, I used to do a joke. I go, well, you know, my idea, wouldn't it be fun some night? Come out, kill a heckler. 
<laughs> just shoot him because people would stop, never bother you again. No, that would be. Hey, don't. He killed a guy the last, last week. Guy, did you see that yeah. on YouTube? He's, he's murdered. But anyways, anyways, that was a nice exchange we just had. You're you're great at this. Oh, no, I just I. You're I, not great at this. Well, no, I. I think you're great. At, aren't I, you on the top? Aren't you in the top 2000? At least in the I top don't know. 2000. I never at least in the top 2000. I, I just I care. About, I like when they have a list of the the podcast. Yeah. It just makes me laugh. I mean, I don't have any reference to it. I just go, oh, this is 18th. I should listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a number that has been uh, ordered in some way. But no matter what, you're not going to get me to eat, you know, Brussels sprouts. (laughs) No matter if they go, Brussels sprouts sprouts have cured fatness. I don't care. (laughs) I'm not eating them. (laughs) I tried it. I couldn't live on them, so I'll just stay fat. Are you performing? Do you have a regular show in Vegas at the moment? No, I'm going to be at the uh, Red Rock for uh, Valentine's weekend. For some reason, <laughs> they always book me on Valentine's <laughs> weekend. And I go, all right, whatever. Did I like, like the day after Valentine's where the candy's half price. That's <laughs> or just left around. Yeah, yeah. we got to get rid of this. Yeah. Just take it. Do you, do you, Can you leave candy around? Like that's when you know you're a food addict. When you go, I even ate the uh, mints. You know, it's interesting. You know, I, I know exactly the question you're asking. I know exactly the nuance of the question you're asking. Yeah. When I was drinking, I could never leave a beer. I could always had to finish. I like it would just like, well, I can't leave that. Yeah. For some reason, I don't have. And would the you same. guzzle it then? If I had to. Yeah. Because you did. Because it was uh, unfinished. It, I don't know. It was part of your pathology. It was I guess, part right? of that pathology. Yeah. It just yeah. needed to be in my body. And. Uh, I don't have, you know, I think I have some of that relationship with work and I, oh, yeah. but I don't have that relationship with uh, food. I don't have like, I was surprised you had a podcast, you have a show and then you have the um, talking dead. And I go, wow, that would kill me. And he's working on the road. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I like it. You're I, in shape for it. You're I built the for fall it. off from touring though, because I just got married in August and, and I, just, I guess I kind of thought, Hey, maybe I don't feel. Maybe I feel like being with my wife, yeah. and not and not be, and not being not only being gone most weekends, but also being fried and coming home like, don't talk to me. I just need to. I just need yeah. to sit here. Please just leave me alone. And you put so much like I did at midnight. You could watch the episode. I was brilliant in it. He <laughs> was. No, I was terrible. But it doesn't matter. Uh, Martha was worse than me. That's the only redemption. Um, <laughs> And she said she wanted to be worse than me, which really makes me angry when she does that. I love Martha Uh, Kelly. I love Martha Kelly. She did kill the set at Largo the other night. Oh my god. Killed it. You know, Martha Martha was sort of Martha was one of those people because I did open mics with her when I started doing open mics. I've known her since, you know, ninety-eight, ninety-nine. And like that's a long time ago. That's my favorite. It's almost 20 years ago. I know, but it's so funny. But she uh she would always always kill just because she had that delivery. Yeah. And the jokes, you know, and she was such a great writer and, uh, and such a great writer just disappeared, like not disappeared, but just went moved to Austin. Like I just yeah. need to be in Austin. And I was so happy to see her come back, get back into that sack. That sack that that did that sack brought her to, you know, brought her back. He always lo- he always loved Zach. Her. He made I don't know. He's just such a he's such a good person. I mean. People don't know, you know, they ask about Zach, but I go, you don't understand. Zach is the guy who sits with everybody on the set. He isn't, he's a complete, real human being. Yeah. And you just, 
you just he's he's not pretentious and and he did you know like you know I didn't know that he I said well how did Martha get the thing well I've known her for twenty years and I just go wow that's such a good thing that you you know because most times when you're doing a TV show you don't want to do weird things like that and he just did it because he knows he's got relationships and he's got friendships and th- he he knows how much it means to people to get a job. Well, and I also think that's I'm spe- I'm sorry, Zach, that I'm speaking for you. That's what makes that. that's what makes what he's doing that much more special because it could have been like a a watered down sitcom or something, and and he wanted to do it this way, and it was like, well, if I'm going to do something, it has to be this way. It's amazing what he, you know, we shot that thing under a cloak of darkness, basically, you know, Louis C.K. project. Yeah, you know, nobody gets to know anything, and you you show up. They shuttle you to the thing and shuttle you to the set. I shot my scene. I didn't know the other scenes. I just had my stuff, <laughs> you know, and I shot it and I was hoping that it would be great. And I gave it my all. And then we waited for, I don't know, I guess a year. I think you wait, you know, you wait for quite a while. It seemed yeah. like a year. And then when we got it, but it was just so nobody bothered. Nobody was bothering anybody. But I mean, it's not, it can't be lost on you. This is like a real acting job. Like it's yeah, a yeah, real, no, yeah, yeah, and no, it's not I, just, Oh, Louis, the comedian, or Louis, no, no, the guy no. who hosts. I tried the... to disappear when on that show. I tried to make Louis Anderson disappear. I tried to not have any remnants of Louis Anderson in that character. And then Jonathan Kreisel keeps me on that. Whenever he thinks I'm getting too big on anything, he just goes, a little smaller, a little smaller. And he's real sweet. He says it real low. Just puts his fingers and goes smaller, mm-hmm. you know, with your thumb and your index finger. And I go, and he goes, yeah, smaller. And so that's what I need to hear because, you know, I'm from a big family in, you know, loudmouth family. Like we, our voices are all like this, everybody. And I can be so loud that I've had people whip around and go, God. <laughs> <laughs> and you just go, hey, what? That's my voice, you prick. <laughs> oh, I love this guy. What is it, Dirk Anderson? Yeah, <laughs> Dink. Dink Anderson. Dink, uh, hey, folks, I'm here. Well, this is the last night I said the wrong thing to the mater D. And I didn't know he was uh, sleeping with the owner of the company. Uh, anyway, that's my parting shot at this dump. Fuck all you guys. Good night. Uh, Wait, what? You just... uh, but I, I, isn't it interesting that when you started in this business, people were pretty much just one thing. If you hosted game shows, you were just yeah. a game show host. If you were a, a TV actor, you were just a TV actor. And there were some exceptions, but very few. And now it's like everyone can be everything, you know. Yeah. Like you, you could be a comedian for thirty some odd years. You could host Family Feud. You Yay. could, you could, you could have a cartoon, you know. But then still have a, you know, a comedy, a dramatic comedy role, win an Emmy for an acting. I mean, it's such a wonderful time to be in the business. You know, that's why I say I go back to that thing. Don't get on a line. Don't be afraid. Sixty three, you get a phone call for a job of a lifetime. Don't think that you're out of the thing because the games change. And at you 62, know, you could have said, fuck this. I don't want to do this shit yeah, anymore. Fuck all true. this. I don't know, though. I'm like you. Could we have? Can we? No, Can we? I, not, no if we it's, not if it's in. But here's the great thing. People forget. Bob Hope, great radio guy. Bob Hope, great performer guy. Bob Hope, great movie guy. Bob Hope, TV guy. Yeah. Bob Hope did it all. Yeah. So we have to get, I mean, I think that that model still is strong. Right. And I think that the greatest thing is 
the eye of the crowd out there, the audience, the audience is back to dictating what should be on television. <laughs> and it's so wonderful. Really? Well, I, a guy, a, a show like Baskets could never have survived with when there were four, just four. Oh, no, 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 no. Never. Not, a, not at That all. thing would have been kicked, punted into the end zone. It never would have made it past the, I mean. Ah, uh, this, well, what is this? They would have uh, said. What is this? Why is it funny? We should put, so. Should is we, that Louis Anderson address? Sorry, we're going to recast it. We're going to put Jim Belushi in it, and then we're going to put uh, the, this buddy is a dog. Jim Belushi got a sitcom every four years. <laughs> he always did. <laughs> not that he didn't deserve it, but. I want to, la- as we're kind of wrapping this out, yeah, the last sorry. thing that I, no, 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 no. The last thing that I want to explore with you just for a couple minutes is the idea of, because uh, I'm sure you did this when you were uh, first starting out in comedy. You know, you look at you look at the comics who've been doing it for a long time. And you go, oh, that one's still funny. I don't know what happened to that guy. That guy used to be hilarious. Or that lady was a, I don't know what happened. What happens, do you think, I have theories about it, but what happens sometimes where comics just, yeah, they just kind of like, yeah, they lose it a little bit. You know, when you watch, you go, I don't know. They don't want it anymore. They don't, I don't know. What is it? Well, I think comics get really hurt. I think they really, they they were anxious and... They were, you know, we all have friends. We all have good friends who deserve every bit of success we have. They're funny. They're great. We didn't decide. You don't get to decide who, you know, that's a preference of other people. You don't get to decide who gets the show, who gets the, you know, gets to sell tickets, who gets the, that's all, you know, I'm just, I'm just lucky on that, that note. I mean, the honest truth is that's a, that's a crapshoot, isn't it? I yeah. mean, I'm, people say, 38 years, that's pretty long. I go, I know. Don't <laughs> spread it around. I don't want to be punished for that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm still uh, I'm, I'm still amazed. And I have my ebbs and flows, for sure. Ups and downs. Um, but I think what happens is people get hurt. And they get tired. They get exhausted. Like if you're in a relationship or in a marriage and you quit working on it or you quit doing the stuff that's important to do, this is all easy to say and very hard to do, so I don't mean to minimalize it. But I think you get tired, and I think you got to stay excited about what first got you in to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Like when you were, how old were you when I met you? Uh, 25, maybe 25 when that's how old I was when I started 25 and you were excited. Mm-hmm. You just because you have to keep that, you have to keep a certain amount of excitement up. Like, you know, you have to do the work, no agent, no manager. They're not going to get it done for you. Right. They can't do it. If you don't have a clear vision, and you don't have a purpose, and you don't have the drive, they will just skim off the top of what you're doing and take what you're going to work. Because they don't have, they don't, aren't you? That isn't their job. And I don't mean skim in a bad way. Um, well, they also they, have other gonna, clients. Yes. Well, <laughs> they can't focus which is on really you. a shame. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, but so what I'm saying is I think people get hurt. They get lost. They get forgotten. And and I think it's hard to recover from that. And people need to live. If you're making twenty-five or fifty dollars or a hundred dollars a week doing stand-up, you know, or five hundred even, 
and you have to live on that and you have a kid and a wife and the whole thing yeah that's not that's gonna be i'm sure that that has to that's come up a especially after times. commission it's like oh yeah, you just get saying yeah you, you know 20%. so that there's that middle ground of stand-up which is the same i even think singers and songwriters have it even worse you know, because they got to go and perform four hours in a bar. Oh, and then the and old, then, the older you get, you lose your voice doesn't yeah sustain as well. Comics work till they're dead. Yeah, <laughs> we work till we're dead. But I guess that the thing that you're saying, I, I agree with you. I think people get hurt, forgotten, and I think they give up to some degree. I think I think finding the excitement is is key. I think is is remembering the excitement, and especially. You know, and remembering the desire you had. Yeah, and because when comics, especially when comics get famous, they get less enthused about, oh boy, I don't want to bomb. And you know, if I'm trying out new material, I don't want to bomb in front of this room. Or yeah. you know, they're also that's why I always say you should do it all the time. Yeah, that should be part of your night. Yeah, your new stuff, don't you think? Well, yeah, 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 for sure. Except on TV, where you have a set you got to do. But, yeah, but even then, but now people record shows and they put them up on the fucking internet, and it's like yeah. you know you have a uh, you have one bad set, and then someone puts it up and goes, "Oh, that guy fucking sucks." No, 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 he was just working on new material. But you can't explain that to people. Here's the thing: quit listening to the noise. I used Ugh. to tell everybody at the best comedy, advice comedy star: go home. Do your set and go home if you're going to get caught up. These people, all these comics back here, their one goal for the night will be to make you feel bad about what you're doing. (laughs) Because that will give them some little bit of joy because things aren't working out for them or whatever. I go, don't get involved with their business. Don't get involved with their stuff. Don't let them get inside your head. Right. You know? And I say, you know, take your stuff seriously. I used to do my set. I had an old cassette player in my uh, Pontiac. I put my my cassette that I taped at the show. I'd take it out of my little cassette player, and I'd put it in there. And I'd listen to my set on the way home, and I go there. That that's good. That shit. That's good. That shit. That's really good. Oh, I got to work on that. And I'd go home, and then I'd you know I'd work. I'd throw the ideas down. And luckily, I had a really good memory for my comedy. Not much else. So the next night, I'd take that set. And I would improve upon it because I don't, you know, I, I, I think I thought I was the greatest comic of all time. Don't you think that every comic has to think that they're the greatest comic of all time? I mean, I don't, I don't need to, I don't need to compare like Richard Pryor's. I think he's the greatest comic of all time. But if with me, I've got to think I'm the greatest comic of all time, or at least have the potential to be the. Well, I want that audience to feel like I think I'm the greatest comic, <laughs> so that they feel we're watching the greatest comic of all time. Yeah. Plus, I'm so full of myself. I'm ego, <laughs> ego maniacal human being. I, I, I think that you put this couch at this angle because it would a disadvantage to me yeah (laughs) yeah no but you know what i mean i'm just so full of myself you know like so good friends of mine i have good friends and you always need these friends you know louis you think the world revolves around you and i go doesn't it though (laughs) (laughs) that's all in your head because if you say that then you get that's not good no but you're a comedian you could say that and people would laugh that's the only thing doesn't it though yeah but i think it's really about that i don't you think i don't don't you think kate don't you think you? I tried to get you to work for me, 
and they wouldn't let you. I hope you know that. I had no idea. Who Pete, doesn't want? I had no idea. Pete, Pete, Pete got just a, shut me down. Pete's like, podcast. Yeah, Pete's co- Pete, uh, cartel. Yeah, Pete's cartel got Pete, in the way. Although he, it was a great podcast and everything, Pete just kind of just like when I said, "Hey, I'd like to get involved with your network on my podcast. Oh, I'm with the nurse. I'm on another Chris's thing. I can't possibly. But the funny I thing is I that Pete could've... doesn't even make that decision. No, no. What's Pete, so funny about no, it? No, no. Pete was just having fun. He was just me. teasing. He was, he was just teasing. But I, I know that uh, I could get Kate. I could steal her away from you, Pete. So just so you know, because <laughs> I have fresh bakery, Pete. I have fresh bakery. And if you know one thing, I have vegan bakery. For Katie, so you start bringing her stuff. She's Katie's already packed. I'm watching her pack right now <laughs> to go. No, She's Pete packing all so of her great. things. Isn't Pete great? I He's love fantastic. doing this podcast, and I'm very excited. I'm so excited for his new show too. Yeah, because it, you know, to watch. I one of my favorite things about this business is watching the world discover. I feel like I was in on something before anyone ah. else was. It's like, oh, I knew that guy. I knew he was funny before. I've seen him for years. I know he's funny. Now he's going to do something where everyone else is going to go, oh, that guy's funny. Like, yeah, I fucking knew that. And isn't that a great example of what we we're talking about? That this, that Pete stuck to what he knew was him. Yeah. Because it couldn't have been, he wasn't the first guy chosen. No, but. But, but you know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. But, uh, but, but also, it, you know, like the, the entertainment business is a great lesson in. Because it moves so fast and things can change on a dime. You know, Pete did a talk show that Conan produced a few years ago. And, you know, they did a lot of promotion for it. And the show didn't go as well as he had hoped. And a lot of people could have walked away from that and gone, well, fuck all this. But if that show had worked, he wouldn't have had this new show, which I think is actually going to provide more opportunities for him. He had that funny daytime show, Letterman, remember? Right. So sometimes you have to really trip hard or... do something, and I don't mean it in a mean way. Right. But sometimes you get in the wrong situation and go, "Oh, this is what I this is. What I, now I know what to do." How many things? Now, once you get the lights on you, and once you get the audience there, and you go, "Oh, this is, oh, this is how I could do this." Yeah. Because we learn on the fly, comics especially. We learn on the fly. Oh, I'll never let that happen again. <laughs> like a corporate. Because that's what we do. That's what we do. That's our skill set. <clears throat> if you're paying attention, is to learn how to make shit work on the fly because you have to. You know what I realized during this podcast? What? How really bright we are. I mean, we are... We know stuff. More than mo- anyone else, I'm yes. going to say. How about John and Bones? You know, they were both my feud guys. Oh, my God. Well, John... You know that, John, right? John Stewart. I didn't know that they... John and, and Bones. I think maybe John... I always just assume John and Bones worked on everything. You know, John is our stage manager. They're from Middle Earth, aren't they? They're from Middle Earth. They're mythological creatures. They really are. I'm sure they, they... did uh, mythological amounts of drugs in the 80s. Uh, I have no but, comment. But Johnny... Uh, John Stewart's the real deal. Like John Stewart is bad. He's a gem. We're lucky he to have is. him. And you know these guys are like no, they're just so chill about it all. Well, they just seen relax everybody from the yeah. top down, you know. Yeah, yeah, and and in the most respectful way. Yeah, they don't get they're worked so up great about with anything. The guests and everybody. Yeah, nothing phase. Like they've worked with the biggest everyone. They don't give yeah. a shit anymore, and yeah. it's great. It's great. And anyways, just so uh, for all of you biggest everyone's out there, you're not. <laughs> you're not don't be the biggest everyone around the people who are also the biggest everyone's just enjoy the process enjoy the process roll in butter 
and then powder yourself and drop yourself into a deep fryer. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, Louis Anderson. You, I adore Chris. you. I love you to pieces, and I'm so glad Likewise. that we've been friends for 20 years. 20 years. Uh, and I say to everyone, enjoy your burrito. The end. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Real Time with Bill Maher. A show that I've done uh, a few times. Uh, Bill Maher and his rotating panels of guests are back for more in season 15 of HBO's award-winning winning series. Uh, Bill and his guests will be live. They're going to dissect new and not-so-new people and happenings on Wall Street, Hollywood, around the world, and especially Washington. Watch Real Time with Bill Maher live Fridays at 10 p.m. only on HBO. Also, every week the conversation continues on Real Time Overtime on YouTube. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishbowl podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself. And it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast. And those plans are the opposite of quiet. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Wondery Kids Plus on Apple Podcasts today.